want to tell you, we serve such a merciful, loving Elohim. Let's give him a hand. As Tammy mentioned earlier that, of course, this is also the anniversary of 9-11. So just a raise of hands, who is old enough to remember the actual events of 9-11? Yeah. So on that day 20 years ago, 2,977 people lost their lives. 412 of those were first responders. 343 were firefighters. And that's something close to my heart. For those that don't know, I've spent most of my career in the fire service in, in the industry and uh, also worked a little with Orange County Fire Department on the, on the West Coast. And when that happened, you said, you remember where you were? I was actually coming home from a night shift. I was in a, you know, I lived out in Timbuktu, and so we were like van pooling. So I'm driving home, uh, actually asleep in the back. And as I get to my drop-off point, people, I could hear them actually, there's more activity, and people are listening to the radio, like, hey, listen, what's going on? So I start kind of peeking up and get in my truck and start up, turn to the radio and start hearing the news, just trying to figure out what's going on. At this point, the first tower was hit, and they were still confusion as to what happened or what's going on. A lot of, you know, a lot of misinformation that was just going on. So by the time I got home, turned on the TV, and we actually watched the actual video coverage of it, it was then when the second tower got hit. At that point, we knew. And in the days after that, being in the fire service and being personally trained to do that kind of collapse rescue stuff, you know, go through there and build cribbing and get up in there and use breaching tools to go do search and rescue and all this, I wanted so bad to just, just send me. Just send me. I know everybody felt that way, like there's a need. You just wanted to, with everything in you, just wanted to go and help. Um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of responders that responded that day um, to the collapse on, and working all the uh, days and months afterwards are still dealing with uh, really weird illnesses and things because of all the stuff that was in that dust that they were breathing. So it was kind of Father's mercy for me that I wasn't there and maybe I would, did, was protected from that. But definitely um, say a prayer for those families and the people that are still dealing with those after effects, both psychological and physical. But 9-11, which is also mentioned, um, in Jonathan Kahn's The Harbinger, mentioned that 9-11 was a breach. It was a breach in our wall of protection. And I can just say, if that's a breach, what happens when the whole wall's down? Why, was the, why did the breach happen? It was a judgment because of our, as a nation, our lack 
of righteousness, are abandoning the Elohim of creation, the one who actually founded this nation and built it upon his principles and really built it upon his Torah. Are we more righteous 20 years later than we were 20 years ago? And, you know, the famous scripture that has been since that day and is still broadcast all around, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, that word turn is shuv, shuvah, that's the the name that we have for this special Shabbat between trumpets, Yom Teruah, and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's Shabbat Shuvah. So right even in that scripture, it says to turn to Shuv from their wicked ways, then I will heal from, I will heal, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's just so important that we do take the time, not only personally, but as a community. I think that's what he's trying to, because how do you get a nation to draw together? It starts first as an individual, then it starts as you and your family drawing together in a chad, then it takes your community drawing together in a chad, and as communities, we can then actually have more power to draw together as a nation and become more righteous. So, Shuvah, or also, you'll hear a lot of times, Teshuvah, right? Teshuvah, yes, it was a dance that uh, we almost every time we had this Sabbath, we did Teshuvah. I kind of miss that song. <laughs> um, basically, it has the idea of, we talked about before, it's turning, right? It's, a, it's about pivoting, shuving. Uh, shuving, that's, see, there's a mixing of Hebrew and English. With an English suffix. Uh, so, Shuvah and Teshuvah. It's the idea of turning, right? When primarily we think about is turning from sin, right? If we're sinning, if we're going in the wrong direction, we need to stop, not just say, I'm sorry. We need to turn around and we need to go back. The other thing it talks about, though, is return, which you can see in that same example, right? You, you've turned from the wrong way and you're returning back to his ways, you're returning back to the Father. But return aspect can actually be much deeper and much more spiritual than just that. If you've matured in your spiritual walk over a long time, hopefully there's not a ton of outright sin that you're struggling and wrestling with, right? Stuff crops up from now and there, but you, you know how to do, you know how to repent, we, you get through it and you go on. So then you get to these high holy days where we're in right now, we get the 10 days of awe. Well, the idea of return is also the idea of the olah, the burnt offering. The burnt offering is in English, it's the olah in Hebrew. Actually, the picture of that is that the smoke from the offering actually raising up. 
It's an elevation. It's going up to him. So that's the whole idea is we are, that's a part of returning. We're returning back to the one who created us. So this day is also about that journey. And sometimes, well, I say sometimes, he's always working on us. I don't care how old you are. I can tell that the, the elders in the congregation, raise your hand if he's done working on you. He's, he's not done working on you, right? No, no hands are raised for that. He will continue to work on us the entire time we're here on this earth. So sometimes that shuv, that teshuvah, is where he's clipping, pruning little things out of our lives that aren't sin. There's nothing wrong with them, but it is impeding somehow where he wants us to be in his relationship. Sometimes it's just strictly cutting out some, something that's taking our time. He wants more time with us, but we don't have anything. Our, our plate is full. Our calendar's full. So he's clipping some of that away to gain that time to focus towards him. And that's also part of this. So wherever you're at, realize that there's always something that you need to be searching the Father and trying to change and to become more of that elevation, to get closer and closer to Him every single cycle. Amen? So, actually, the Shabbat Shuvah actually gets its name from the, actually, half Torah. Does everybody know what the half Torah is? So, you have a Torah portion that we have every week, and along with that, there's also a half Torah portion. Well, the Torah portion for when the Shabbat Shuvah comes up is either one of two, so it's not, constant, it's not consistently one, but the half Torah portion is always the same. And that's Hoshea, or Hosea, 14, 1 through 9 in your English Bible. If you're reading it, if you have a Tanakh, it'll be, uh, I think it's 2 through 10. And in this, which we are going to read in a moment, he talks about Shuva, because it actually, the very first word of that says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. That return is Shuva. So that's where they get it from. So I'm going to give a, a little bit of a, a little bit on an article I've read by an Adin Eben Israel, a rabbi who uh, was talking about this Shabbat Shuvah and kind of all of some different things that have to do with it. And he's talking about the first type. When we talk about sin, when we have sin and we're wrestling with sin and we're trying to get that out of our lives, that's, um, that's a lot of times not a pleasant experience. It's actually a lot of times why that month of Elul is kind of tough because those kinds of things are coming up and we're wrestling with those, those things of the past, those things Mark's preached on so many times, you know, forgiveness, asking to be forgiven, to make things right with your brother, all the things that the Father brings up in our lives, right? That's usually not real comforting and uh, a joyful time. It's very, very much healing. 
And it's very much getting things out of the way, getting some dead stuff out of our lives so that we can have the life in Him. Um, but it's not always really comfortable. It says basically this kind of a, that kind of teshuva can be a dramatic and even painful. It's found frequently in the words of the prophets. Right? When the prophet says, rend your heart and not just your clothes, the emphasis is not on the act of rending the clothes, but your heart. Rending your heart is not a comfortable thing, right? It's a necessary thing, but it's not a comfortable thing. So this act of teshuva, it has a time and a place. Basically, in your daily prayers can be a place to actually look for teshuva, to petition forgiveness. There are certain days of the year, Yom Kippur, we're about to come up to it, that are actually dedicated for those kinds of things, to make sure that we are right. But on the other hand, today is also a Shabbat. Well, Shabbat is supposed to be a day of joy, a day of reconciliation, both spiritual and physical rest. It's supposed to have this, you know, we don't come to the feast, especially the Shabbat, we don't come, you know, down in the dumps. This is supposed to be a time of, of joy. So you kind of got that that repentance, the teshuva, that's kind of not so happy. And you're supposed to mix that with Shabbat, which is supposed to be happy. And so you can see the conflict. So it said the, the answer to the question is that Shabbat Shuvah joins the Shabbat and Teshuva. It's not really a simple, ordinary level, but a actually very deep level. So in fact, to, the term Teshuva hints at a different understanding of this concept than we are accustomed to hearing. We do not call it, call it this is in Hebrew, kara'at, kara, kara, I'm sorry, karata, which is remorse, or shavirat lev, which is a brokenheartedness, but rather teshuva, return. So the whole idea of really focusing is that return portion I spoke of earlier. So conceptually, Shabbat too includes an element of return and restoration to things to their source. Shabbat is a return to a point prior to our coming into being. On one hand, Shabbat is the completion of everything that exists, right? Six days of creation, then the seventh. But on the other hand, it's a return to the state before creation, a state of non-existence or the day before the first, because what comes after Shabbat? The first day, right? So is it the last or the first? Yes, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's cyclical. So in other words, the Shabbat is not only an epilogue of the six days of creation, but it's also kind of a prologue. Does that make sense? So on this Shabbat, and also on Shabbat Hagadol, which is, that's the Shabbat that's between in that Passover week. Normally the synagogue rabbi delivers a drosh, in other words, he's what I'm doing, right? Given the, the, the message part, the midrash, to the entire congregation. And as a rule, it's dealing with matters that are meant to rouse the heart to teshuva, but takes into consideration that the fact that Shabbat should be not, not recall or bring up difficult matters and painful memories that are generally spoken of when we talk about 
teshuva. But on Shabbat Shuvah, we emphasize the teshuva of love, not the teshuva of remorse and pain. This kind of teshuva is a return that is not only based on love, but can only be achieved by returning in the way of love. Most of the prophets, we've all read the prophets. Teshuva is a main point of the whole idea, the whole prophets there, right? Usually the prophet doesn't show up because things are going wonderful, because everybody's doing right, and they're just running around giving everybody high fives. Oh, good job, good job, good job, right? Usually things aren't quite the way they should be, and he's trying to give the people a warning. However, most of their prophecies are full of harsh rebuke about sins and the punishments that an individual and a nation will suffer because of those sins if they do not attain teshuva. But in contrast, Hosea's prophecy, this Haftarah portion, is read, contains very few words of rebuke, petition, or supplication for the abrogation of punishment. The essence of the Haftarah is a call for complete teshuva, for leaving sin, and for following in a new direction. It also contains words of consolation, acceptance, and reassurance for those who seek teshuva. What's more, although the prophecies of consolation in the words of other prophets as well regarding further redemption and good times, right? There's a lot of that in the prophets. Those prophecies generally do not deal with the cause of exile and suffering. In this half tower, however, there's a unique combination, although it's Although it's not a prophecy of redemption, but an explicit call for teshuva, nevertheless, it consists entirely of words of consolation, consolation and conciliation. These words of comfort, stated with great tenderness, are meant to inspire people in a different way. Look how, it is, look how good it is for people to seek shelter under the wings of the Shekinah. Look how much love God bestows on his people and to all who love him. The Haftarah's general tone resembles the words of encouragement that, offers, that one offers a sick person. How good will it be when you recover? Right? How well will you feel and how many blessings will you enjoy? Indeed, one of the sages, Ibn Ezra, interprets a verse, I, one of the verses in the Haftorah, that I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Backsliding in the soul is like illness in the body. Thus the words, I will heal. And finally, the other prophet's words of rebuke deal primarily with teshuva out of fear. Fear of sin and fear of punishment. Whereas the half Torah chosen for Shabbat Shuvah, we are encouraged to seek Teshuvah out of love, a Teshuvah whose whole essence is drawing near to God. In this way, the half Torah reflects the essence of this Shabbat, conciliatory call to spiritual awakening and drawing near to God.
So Hosea wrote this. Hosea was the last prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. So he's called the deathbed prophet because Israel is about to be no more. Yet, this is the last chapter. These are the last words that the prophet from the Father above gave Israel. Return, Shuvah, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria will not, shall not save us, and we will not ride on horses. We're not looking to physical, military deliverance. And we will say no more our gods to the works of our hands. In, the, in you, the orphan finds mercy. Then our Heavenly Father answers and says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew of his trial. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their, flame, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. He's crying out with love. Not to guilt you into anything. Though we have much to be guilty for. But because he first loved us, and for that love, let's repent and return to him in love. To go along with that, um, I'm going to read a little bit out of the Torah portion that goes with this week. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 31, if y'all want to turn there. And this is, this is, the rabbis believe that this was the last day of Moses' life. And, and you often hear that the last words that people speak, is it should be pretty impactful. And when you look at, when you go through this, it's real short and I'm not going to be very long, but I've just got a couple points I want to make. And I'm going to read through verse 6 first, 
starting in verse 1 of chapter 31. It says, So Moses went and spoke all these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today and am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is Yahweh your Elohim who will cross ahead of you, and he will destroy the nations before you. And you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. Yahweh would do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land, when he destroyed them. Yahweh will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid at them, for Yahweh your Elohim is the one who goes before you. And he will not fail or forsake you. And the name of this Torah portion, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of it, but is it Vayulek? Vayulek? It comes from the Hebrew word, root word for movement. And we don't collaborate what, what the Father's laying on our hearts ahead of time, but Mark gives a word this past week. That Yahweh is fixing to move us. And one of the things as I was dwelling on that this week is for him when he moves us to be able to use us, we've got to have a maturity. Mature fruit is the only thing that we can draw nourishment from. Have y'all ever tried to bite into an unripe persimmon? Not much good. They're not really good when they're right, but I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> the only way others can be encouraged through us, and that's going to be the whole point of Him moving us away from this mountain, is because we cannot be the source of encouragement or nourishment to a world around us if we're not mature enough to leave Sinai. And when you think about what He was... In the context here, Yahweh was getting ready to bring them into a very hostile environment. Okay, an environment that was hostile to their way of life. Hostile to His ways. And the challenges that were ahead of them were unprecedented. When you look at it from the physical. We live in a world that is, It's a breeding ground for hopelessness. When you look at the chaos and confusion that's going on in this world, stop trying to think in your mind and blame a certain people group. They're facing to face similar circumstances, except their very lives was at stake. And Moses tells them to be strong and courageous and do not fear. Mark made a statement a couple of weeks ago talking about, um, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but in the sight of the nations that you're going to be, you're going to be an example one way or the other. You're either going to be an example of how he can bless a people in the midst 
of chaos and hostility, or you're going to be an example of a curse amongst the same circumstances. The word courage in the 1828 dictionary means bravery. It's a quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirit, with boldness, resolution. It is a constituent part of fortitude, but fortitude implies patience to bear continued suffering. Courage is defined in the Scriptures as being motivated from the heart to do something brave. There is positive courage and there is negative courage. Bravery. Just to give you an example. What Korah done, it took some guts. It took guts and bravery to do what he done and for the men to follow him. Good courage, according to the Scripture, relies upon supernatural power of Yahweh to strengthen us. Bad courage is relying on men and relying on ourselves. Good courage is relying on Him and, and it should motivate us to be courageous without relying on our human ability. And when you... Just thinking about the, the things that are going on right now, we definitely are in a, in a position, you know, to... Because this, this, the, the system of the world is, is becoming very, very hostile against Him, okay? So we're the ones that suffer for that. Anybody that aligns himself with the God of this Bible is going to end up sooner or later, and I'm not talking everybody in, alive is going to end up being a martyr, because we don't know that. I'm just saying the spirit that's ruling this world, who is the author of confusion? Do we have any confusion in this world today? So he, I want to, I want to move, move on to about being witnesses. In the same scriptures, it goes down, we, we know, starting about verse 10, he, he gives the command that at the end of every seven years that they're to read the Torah aloud. But I want to read something to you. Starting in verse 12, and it says, Assemble the people, the men and women and children, and the aliens who are in your towns, so that they may hear and learn to fear Yahweh your Elohim and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Okay? Verse 13 says, their children who have not known. Who is the there? The Gentiles, the pagans, however you want to label it. Is he not telling them right here, their children who have not known will hear you. To hear, they're also going to see you. They're going to hear you, and they're going to learn because of you. To fear Yahweh as long as you live in the land and possess it. So when I started thinking about that, that thought about being a witness, 
Witnesses can also be good or bad. One of the things that hit me the hardest as I was thinking about this, starting with myself without pointing fingers at anybody, is the word we need to be a credible witness kept going over and over in my spirit. Because there is a lot of witnessing going on in the world today that there's no credibility to. We have became believers, have became an just like, if you, if you watch CNN, okay, and you, and you follow any type of comments or any type of the people that tune into CNN, what are they? They are an echo chamber of whatever is being projected from that, from that network or whatever network. We are no different. We can become an echo chamber of things that... There's, I've seen some people that I have lost a lot of, that's lost credibility with me. Some of the, some of the, because we want so much to find someone or something to blame for the problems that's going on in this earth. And I was listening to a rabbi this week and he, and he was making a statement and, and, when, and, he, and he said something that, that I've been guilty of. He didn't use New Orleans as an example, but this is something that relates to us because I remember hearing this whenever Katrina happened. Devastation. We're no telling how many people lost their lives during that storm from Mississippi coast all the way into Louisiana. And, and statements made pointing out that how evil that city is and they got what they deserved. Or this rabbi made a statement that he had a student that heard about a busload of kids in Israel that run off the side of a mountain on Shabbat and all of them died. And the response was, they didn't keep Shabbat, so they got what they deserved. And he made this statement, and he said, if we're not careful, we will allow disagreements to cause us to dehumanize people. And we lose the feeling and compassion When they're not just like us and they don't think just like us. These people that they were told to be a witness to says they didn't even know who he was. So is there a slight chance they didn't know what Shabbat was? Is there a chance they had no idea about the, the, the joy that we get to have of celebrating his feast days? My thing, my, what I'm trying to say is if we're not careful... We can become non-credible because we want to repeat and share things and, and say things that we have nothing to back it up just because it comes from a certain narrative and it tries to make them look bad. And I'm telling you, that's not what we're here to do. Satan's winning with all the division in this world. I don't see a lot of encouragement coming from believers anymore. And I'm not talking about blind, being blind to, to sinful things. Y'all understand what I'm saying? 99% of what comes out of, quote, believers that, I, that I'm around or I see, and I've been guilty of it too, is a lot of negative reports. There's not a lot of encouragement that gives anybody a reason 
to want to be a part of this. And, and I'm, I am telling you, I'm, I am guilty of this, of this mindset. And I don't want to be, we, there is a lot of the spy, 10 spies out there. Do y'all agree with that? There's very few. Even though, and I know we've said this a dozen times, even though the report they gave was truthful, they said good things about the land, they caused discouragement in the camp. And that cost them, what, 38 years? Yahweh needs a people. This is something that, that, because we've been talking about the fruit leading up to Sukkot, fruit of the Spirit. Is it possible for Him to have a people that can walk around and stay calm and gentle with people during this chaos that we live in? Because right now is more than ever, especially in our generation, He needs a people that's got the fruit of the Spirit that can be a light during these dark days. Not always being a social combatant that's sitting on the edge of ready to explode. And always, I mean, there's so much. Listening to conversations that it revived. Just walking the halls and and, and how much stuff revolved around just one conspiracy after another. Can I make a statement and not hurt too many feelings? Do you hear this man talking like that? Do you hear his wife talking like that? That's part of this maturing process that I'm talking about. Is that stuff is not... Is some of it true? Yeah. Is it helping us? Absolutely not. Because within that is so much things that makes us discredited to people. Especially the they that don't know who he is. The world is watching. They are listening to what we say. They're watching what we do. And so my question I've got right here for myself is, am I a credible witness for our Messiah? And I want to just, I got just a few more minutes. I want to touch a little bit on repentance because Tyler, Tyler covered most of it. But when you look, starting in chapter... Uh, 31 verse, and starting in verse 16. Let me read this through, from 16 through 18. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. These people will arise and play the harlot with, with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed. Many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, it is, not because, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of the evil which they do, for they will turn to other gods." Isn't it amazing how they took and blamed him for the trouble they were in that it's because he's not among us is why we're in the shape we're in. When it's like no goofy, I don't know what I can say up here, but (laughs) it's not because of that. It's because of your sins. 
And, and I was listening to a, another rabbi this week that, that made a statement about this verse, and he said, I'm going to quote him, he said, this is an insight into the state of man's mind after we sin. Is it not because Elohim is not among us? After straying, he said, we feel hopeless, we feel low or depressed, and we feel far from Him. That's what sin does, it separates us from His presence, right? He said, in this state of mind, the evil inclination attacks a person when we're down and in despair, and it causes us to want to give up. It causes us to think, as they said in this scripture, that Yahweh has abandoned us. They believe that this that the feeling that He is hiding His face from us is nothing but an illusion. It's an illusion. The, the illusion is the true, is the true concealment. Hold on a minute, I wrote that down wrong. And that illusion is the true concealment because Yahweh will never abandon us because He says in verse 6, He will not, what? Fail you or forsake you. Okay? They say what this verse teaches to them is that to say that He is not among us is one of the worst things that we can do. And it's a double sin, and that's the reason they say we see the double expression that I will surely hide my face from you. It's a sin within a sin. They sinned. They're blaming Him that He hid His face is the reason we're in the shape we're in. Now it's a double sin. So it's an illusion that he's hid his face. If somebody hides, does that mean they're gone? They said one of the worst punishments of all is to think that Yahweh is not with you. Because there's no such a thing. There's no power that could ever divide us. There's no walls that can separate us from That sounds like a song that we sing. When we, we sin and we blame Him for hiding His face. But it's our sin that creates this divide. But it does not mean that He's forsaken us. And this is the whole point of what I wanted to say right here. Repentance is what reveals His face to us. There's hope in Yahweh. And you know, no matter what He does, no matter what we do, we have His Word that promises us if we have the right heart, which starts with what Tyler just touched on, if we can humble ourselves and really believe that I'm, I'm absolutely nothing. I have no courage outside of Him. I have no redemption outside of Him. I have no life outside of Him. It makes the realization that that's the reason. Repentance is a gift. I believe that. When we have that gift of repentance that we can turn back to Him and He will reveal His face to us and, and we have the comfort of knowing as long as we don't walk away from Him that He's never going to abandon us, it, makes, it gives me a lot of hope. Because it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a joyful thing to think about being alone and you don't have, you don't have a, 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 a Father in Heaven to be there for you. When the whole key is just us being able to humble ourselves and, and really just think how simple things can be if we just look at it the right way.
you know. And so, so I, I didn't have a whole lot just other than, than that. Um, but just think about that this week, about the, the credibility of our witness. The things that we say, the things that we repeat, it carries a lot of weight. It really does. And, um, and, and if we would put him as the focus of our conversations with, with people, I think that, that it would probably be a lot more pleasing to him. But anyway, thank you all for your time.